welcome to the Week Ahead in Russia, Arthur's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest is Irina Lagunina, Associate Standards Editor and former Director and Special Projects Editor of the Russian Service at RFERL. Welcome, Irina, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for inviting, Steve. Okay, well, it's great. It's great to have you on the podcast again. Now, um, Russia's war against Ukraine uh, is continuing with no end in sight. There's heavy fighting, uh, as there has been uh, in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine, um, particularly around Bakhmut and uh, other other cities and towns, including Avdiivka. Uh, and there are more deaths of civilians uh, in Russian attacks. Um, in the context of Russia assuming the rotating presidency of the United Nations Security Council over the weekend uh, for this month, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that a five-year-old boy uh, was among the civilians killed in Avdiivka. And Ukrainian authorities said uh, yesterday, I believe, that more than 20 civilians had been killed uh, in recent Russian attacks over just the, the previous day or so before that. Uh, so, um, but we're going to talk uh, about developments in Russia itself. I mean, these are all related to the war, like, like pretty much everything in Russia now. Um, uh, the, the first thing I want to ask uh, you about, I mean, is a really unprecedented and I would say objectively disturbing development, the arrest of Evan Gershkovich a Wall Street Journal reporter who was detained by the Federal Security Service um, um, on March 29th while reporting in Yekaterinburg and is now being held at the notorious Lefortova jail in Moscow. Uh, the Wall Street Journal vehemently denies the Russian claim that he was spying, and many, many colleagues have vouched for his integrity uh, as a journalist. The White House has called uh, the espionage accusation ridiculous, and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken condemned it as part of, quote, the Kremlin's continued attempts to intimidate, repress, and punish journalists and civil society voices. Now, uh, Gershkovich is the first and only American journalist to be arrested on an espionage accusation uh, in Russia since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, which happens to be, I believe, the year he was born. So this really is unprecedented in part because until now, foreign journalists accredited with the Russian foreign ministry were, or at least seemed to be protected from a politically motivated or geopolitically motivated persecution at the hands of the Russian authorities. Um, as Joshua Yaffa, a friend and colleague um, of Gershkovich's, wrote in a New Yorker article about, uh, about Evan following the arrest, um, amid a growing state campaign, these are my words, amid a growing state campaign targeting independent journalists and media outlets in Russia in recent years, Yaffa wrote, quote, foreign correspondents continued to occupy a position of relative privilege and safety, unquote. Um, the most recent, in fact, the most recent and, and maybe the only comparable arrest um, came in 1986, when American reporter Nicholas Staniloff was detained and accused of espionage. He was released a few weeks later and exchanged, uh, I don't think he was formally charged, and he was exchanged 
uh, in a swap for an employee of the Soviet mission to the United Nations who'd been arrested by the FBI also on spy charges. Irina, there's been speculation that Russia arrested Gershkovich in order to essentially hold him hostage for a potential swap like that one. And a lot of people are calling him um, you know, a hostage of Russia. Uh, or a swap like the one um, far more recently in December, in which American basketball star Brittany Griner was exchanged for Russian arms dealer Victor Boot. Uh, you and I discussed that on this podcast at the time. Uh, some also see Gershkovich's arrest um, as this is not necessarily um, a, a, a different reason, but but an overlapping reason, perhaps. Um, so, but some see it as a signal to Western journalists and media outlets and Western countries in general, essentially saying, do not try to discover the truth about the war in Ukraine or anything else. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Irina, and, and, and your knowledge from uh, the Russian service reporting? Basically, what, what seems to be behind the arrest of Evan Gershkovich? Well, Steve, I think that those two points that you mentioned uh, to send a signal to Western media and to uh, uh, to keep uh, Evan as a hostage for a future exchange, uh, those are both uh, probably prime reasons why uh, why, uh, why the Russian authorities did it. Uh, they would definitely keep him uh, for to swap to, with somebody. Uh, that's for sure. They uh, they will make profit uh, out of it, and uh, they also send signal to the Western media, and by the way, to Russian uh, media as well. Uh, and there is uh, even third point in all this that there is a, a signal that uh, you know our 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 I'm uh, exaggerating right now, right? Uh, that our uh, you know, uh, law enforcement is not sleeping. We are doing our job. We are uh, arresting spies, and uh, this uh, 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 this propaganda message uh, that uh, you know Russia is under threat, that Russia uh, is uh, uh, the West uh, wants uh, to uh, you know to crash Russia. The West wants to get Russia's secrets. Uh, there are spies everywhere. Uh, this is also a very uh, significant message to the Russian society in terms of propaganda. Uh, by the way, when the society is so closely controlled by the law enforcement uh, or by the power agencies, better to say, uh, because uh, the legal side of the of uh, this control is uh, questionable, uh, when when the society is under such a tough control uh, of the state, uh, then uh, uh, the, the the this state power ministries need to uh, sometimes from time to time uh, need to prove that they are active and that uh, they uh, you know they fulfill their duties whatever they uh, understand under this uh, this duties. Uh, is so. I think that uh, this is a very disturbing uh, uh, development, and uh, you probably also read that uh, uh, once again the State Department is calling on all Americans to uh, leave the country because it's not uh, it's not uh, safe uh, to be there to work there as as we see. So uh, that's. Um, 
that's that's a very sad development in in, in Russia. It uh, it it is a coincidence probably, but the next day after this arrest, uh, uh, Russia um, published its uh, new strategic defense doctrine, uh, where it is actually making an aim to be a self isolated uh, state. Uh, so the public is uh, being prepared for uh, this total uh, isolation from the rest of the world. Steve? Thanks, Irina. That, yeah, those are some great additional points um, that I hadn't thought of. In, in some cases, they're both kind of the, I guess, the signal to Russians that, you know, hey, we're, we're doing our job you know, from the security services, as you say, probably not not really the best description to call them law enforcement agencies, but um, they say, look, we're doing our job. And I think they're trying to show both, both the Kremlin and the, and the people that, um, and that's all in the context of this kind of uh, the way uh, that Putin and, and the Kremlin are using, you know, are casting and portraying uh, the war in Ukraine, portraying it not as a war of aggression on their part, on Russia's part, but as a essentially a defensive war against the West and NATO, not 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 just Ukraine or, or not primarily Ukraine, but claiming you know, again this is um, I would also say ridiculous, but the, that that the West, the United States, NATO are trying to uh, are out to essentially undermine and destroy Russia um, and using Ukraine to do that. So that's so so this arrest I would say fits in. You know, uh, it fits into that that false narrative. Um, but uh, Steve, if I may interrupt you, uh, I also I was thinking, uh, you know, I have another parallel in mind uh, when it comes to this arrest. Uh, strangely enough, I was thinking about the killing of Paul Hlebnikov, uh, the editor of the Russian edition of uh, Forbes magazine in two thousand four, and. Uh, why I was thinking about this parallel is because at that time, it was the start of uh, the crack on uh, investigative journalism in Russia. And uh, uh, Paul was exactly the person who, uh, who was conducting very interesting investigations. And uh, uh, his killing was uh, like a, sh a signal to Russian investigative journalists that uh, that's be your fate. Uh, don't don't try to mess with the states, uh, with the state. So uh, you know it is a very powerful signal that the Russian authorities are given uh, by you know harassing or even killing Western media. Absolutely, that's a great that's a great analogy. You know, I think in part because, you know, it's it's, it's obviously sort of a different context in many ways, um, but but it is also, as you said, you know, seems to have been a signal of you know, don't don't you know don't pry, don't don't do your work as a journalist, um, and and that's you know what. Um, the signal that was sent um, in a very, you know, murderous way, obviously, with, with Paul Klebnikov, um, uh, who is, you know, was American and, um, you know, with roots in Russia. But, um, but, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very uh, 
that's a very interesting analogy. Um, and also, you you mentioned the idea of uh, the the new um, uh, foreign policy doctrine uh, and and uh, isolation. The idea that you know the moving further in an almost North Korean way to, to isolation. Um, and there was a, another development also yesterday that sort of played into that, which was a suspension order. The, a court ordered the Anglo-American School of Moscow to suspend operations for 90 days, meaning the rest of the school year and more. Um, and this is a school where um, most of the children, I would say, of U.S., British, and Canadian diplomats uh, go, um, you know, who are in Moscow. So, so that's another signal. And I think the U.S. said, well, uh, you're creating conditions um, that make it impossible to, you know, to do diplomacy. So, so I think that fits in as well. But obviously, um, the arrest of Gershkovich, uh you know, a, a, a disturbing um, signal. And, and I believe, I'm not sure as, as of today, but as of yesterday, I don't think the Wall Street Journal had been able to be in contact with him. Um, and he is in this kind of uh, jail, a fort of a prison, a jail that was used by the KGB and now the FSB um, to hold uh, prisoners. Uh, so uh, we will see how that develops. And um, obviously, uh, a disturbing development. So thanks very much. I'll keep my second question shorter. It's about um, signs of increasing pressure on uh, Russian artists, performers, and cultural figures who have spoken out against the invasion of Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. Two examples this past week uh, involving artists in very different musical genres. Uh, in Moscow, police used, used a claim of a bomb threat to disrupt a concert by classical pianist Polina Osetinskaya. Uh, the venue was evacuated, uh, but the concert resumed after no bomb was found. I think this came after the police had initially tried to stop the concert from, from even taking place. Um, uh, so the background is Osetinskaya on February 24th, 2022, the day Russia launched the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. She uh, wrote on Instagram that she felt horror, shame, and disgust over the invasion and called it the dark day in Russian history. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the same day that this uh, concert took place uh, last week in, in Siberia, a rock group called Spleen was taken off the schedule for a summer festival in Novosibirsk. Uh, now, last year, Spleen had angered the authorities by dedicating uh, a song to Machina Vremeni and Aquarium, two very famous groups that are reportedly on a list of artists informally banned for opposing uh, the war or refusing to publicly support the war. So, Irina, what, what's going on with, with this clampdown on, on performers? Well, you know, Steve, we uh, often speak about uh, like censorship uh, in terms of uh, media. And this is not really true in Russia anymore because uh, censorship actually goes in all uh, segments of the society. It's not only media, it's not television. Uh, people, you know, we, we, 
we sometimes say that, oh, Russians support the war because they watch television. But it, it's not only this. It's also books. It's also uh, theaters. It's, uh, you know, pop and rock performance. It's, uh, it's this whole machine of propaganda uh, that is actually now uh, aggressively squeezing out those people who uh, do not support the war. And it's... Uh, we don't know the statistics, but it's definitely hundreds of cultural, uh, uh, you know, figures, uh, actress, uh, actresses, uh, uh, writers, uh, uh, poets, uh, uh, that uh, directors that had to 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 leave Russia uh, over the last uh, year or so um, because of the, uh, but since the start of the of the war, uh, what is going on in Russia? I mean. I, it's difficult to imagine living in this society right now because, for example, uh, the uh, local authorities in several cities, and uh, to me it's still unclear whether it was like a, uh, an order from the center or uh, it's uh, somebody started to do and then the rest uh, uh, decided to follow uh, the example. Uh, but, uh, for example, the books that were the bestsellers uh, of the most uh, prominent contemporary uh, Russian writers like uh, Boris Akunin, uh, like Dmitry Bykov, like uh, Dmitry Golhovsky, like Lyudmila Ulitskaya, uh, they are all now uh, named foreign agents. And what they do in uh, bookstores, they wrap those uh, books with paper manually and they write foreign agent on, uh, on the paper. Uh, to cover those books. Uh, this is unbelievable, but it is the reality in Russia. Uh, there are libraries that claim that they got the order on local uh, level of, or from local authorities that uh, certain books should be uh, taken off the shelves. Uh, but I think that the most, uh, uh, the most horrible example happened uh, last week actually uh, in Ulan Ude, this is the capital of Buryatia, and you probably heard this name uh, uh, quite a lot of times recently because there are so many, uh, you know, uh, people that were contracts uh, that went to fight in Ukraine, and then uh, there's the so many mobilized in this uh, uh, Russian Republic uh, that also were sent to the war in Ukraine. But in Ulan Ode, a drama actor, uh, Artur uh, Shuvalov, actually cut his wings on his arms at the end of the performance in uh, the protest against uh, the pressure that he uh, lived in for the last year. Uh, at the beginning of the war, the former um, artistic director of the theater, uh, Sergei Levitsky, uh, had a very, very strong anti-war position. He, together with the actors, actually took off the letter Z uh, that somebody put on the uh, theater, uh, and he was fired uh, and replaced with a more convenient for authorities uh, personage. Uh, but uh, then this whole year, there was the pressure on the actors who, who, who supported the former uh, theater director. Uh, and uh, uh, Shuvalov, when he, when he made this, 
uh, attempt of suicide on the scene of the theater. Uh, he said that he couldn't t tolerate the uh, the pressure anymore. He doesn't have any force left uh, to withstand this uh, uh, this pressure. Uh, it just shows to what extent the uh, you know Russian cultural uh, elite is. Uh, uh, you know, under pressure to support this war, and uh, uh, and those who do not do it uh, is just being squeezed out of the society, no matter how popular they are. By the way, one of the uh, the actresses that was uh, fired from this theater, and she was in the theater since. Uh, she worked in the theater since uh, 1977. Elia Hidjakova. Uh, was also forced, uh, she decided to travel abroad uh, and give concerts outside Russia because there is uh, no place to work for her uh, in Russia. The same with poet Veronika Dolina, who uh, recently left uh, Russia and started her uh, tour uh, with uh, probably concert meetings or, uh, you know, uh, Poetical meetings uh, within Russia with Russian diaspora abroad. Uh, so this is just the whole new dimension of the war that we don't necessarily see, uh, but uh, that exists as as well. And uh, this is a huge tragedy for for the Russian society because uh, once again we are speaking about the most pop sometimes the most popular, uh, the most authoritative, uh, you know, of cultural figures in Russia that's being squeezed out and whose cultural heritage the Russian authorities are now trying to eliminate, Steve. Right, absolutely. And, and you, um, you know, and, and, and of course, the Russian government says that says that, um, that, that Russia is being canceled or its culture is being canceled abroad. You know, in fact, many would say that Russia, that the Russian government is, is canceling Russian culture at home. And, and you've given two kind of very good examples, I think, of this of this problem, um, you know, obviously very disturbing ones. Uh, but, you know, one, Leah Akhijakova, you know, in Moscow, she's extremely well-known, well-respected, very conscientious, you know, a person who's been kind of at the center of, of uh, Russian uh, you know, acting, theater, uh, films for decades, uh, and her leaving, and and then uh, this this situation at a lesser known uh, theater in in Buryatia, uh, with the whole background of that uh, in terms of Bur um, young men from Buryatia being sent or going to the war in, in greater numbers and other uh, regions where there are ethnic minorities uh, in greater numbers than than. Th than in Russia as a whole, uh, so that's uh, also ties into that, I guess. Um, but but really, kind of a bleak picture. Um, now, the the third thing I I want to discuss. Um, usually, we we only talk about two issues on this podcast, but just want to mention the other development, another development that occurred inside Russia in recent days. Uh, sometimes rabid pro-war blogger who went by the name Vladlin. Tatarsky was killed in a bomb blast at a St. Petersburg cafe yesterday, uh, seemingly assassinated. Uh, there are also claims that the Wagner mercenary group founder Yevgeny Prigozhin may have been expected at the same national, nationalist event at the cafe. Um, 
that was interrupted when this bomb went off and Tatarsky uh, was killed and then some, I believe, 15 or more people injured. Um, Vlad Lenin is an abbreviation of Vladimir Lenin, for those who might not have known, and the name was fairly common in the Soviet era, but that's kind of an aside. But Tatarsky's real name was Maxim Fomin, um, and the term blogger perhaps doesn't do him justice. Uh, there's a clip of him from September, I believe, uh, after a speech by Putin uh, with, with Fomin or um, Tatarsky saying, we will kill everyone, rob everyone, we need to, the way we like it. Uh, he's talking about Ukraine there. Um, anyway, Russian officials uh, are blaming Ukraine uh, for, his, uh, for his death, his killing, um, and also now blaming, um, claiming that um, Alexei Navalny's, uh, or supporters of Alexei Navalny's anti-corruption uh, commission uh, were were involved, and these are just you know they, they provided no evidence of this. Uh, but meanwhile, Ukrainian officials are saying it was more likely an internal dispute among Russian radicals. And in fact, Prigozhin said he didn't believe Ukrainians were behind it, um, though his words may not reflect his actual thoughts or knowledge. Um, anyway, uh, a suspect is, has been detained. A woman who's accused of bringing uh, the bomb into the cafe. Uh, but my guess is that um, what we may see, while we may see a kind of a bigger, somehow bigger uh, crackdown or clampdown um, on any forms of dissent, uh, anti-war sentiment, as a result of this, you know, we may not soon find out who, who was actually behind it. Uh, Irina? Absolutely no. Uh, we will not. I, I, I suspect that... Uh... You know, there's the Russian authorities now gave the name of the suspect uh, officially. Uh, they even distributed the uh, uh, video of her statement. Uh, so they really try to influence the public opinion, apparently, uh, right now. So this is a 26 years old Daria Trepova. Uh, yes, she is uh, uh, like an anti war activist. She was. Uh, uh, detained at the demonstration last year on the 24th of February uh, when the war, the aggression, the full-scale aggression uh, started. Uh, but uh, nothing in her bio actually uh, points out to the fact that she can be in a terrorist group or, uh, you know, re reserved to terror. Uh, to uh, to protest the war, uh, so uh, uh, even her husband, uh, who is abroad, by the way, uh, uh, stated, and he is a uh, member of the Libertarian Party, uh, stated that uh, he doubts that uh, she can be, uh, you know, an, an effective, uh, you know, organizer of this uh, crime or even new. Uh, that uh, she was uh, bringing in this uh, statute with uh, explosive inside, uh, as the authorities claim that this, this uh, statue that she brought in exploded in the cafe. Uh, but uh, uh, I, th I think that we will never find out uh, what's behind it, and uh, uh, it will be like a, an information explosion at, at the beginning and then it will die out because uh, if you remember 
uh, August last year, the daughter of uh, the Kremlin ideologist Daria Dugina was killed in the uh, car ex- explosion. And immediately the Russian authorities claimed that this was uh, made by a Ukrainian lady who traveled with, uh, in Russia with, uh, even with her daughter uh, and then escaped Russia. And it died. It kind of, there is no information. There is no continuation of the story. It was uh, in all headlines. And that's what people rem- remember that, uh, you know, those are uh, Ukrainian authorities who organized a terrorist attack in, uh, within the Russian state. I think here it will be the same. Uh, but the truth will never come out. Yeah, so I, I, I guess, I mean, that's a good point. I, I guess the, for propaganda purposes, you know, they just need, to, or the Russian state just needs to keep it in the, in the news for, you know, a news cycle or two, and then, uh, and, then, um, and then it's over. And that kind of image of, oh, it was, you know, Ukraine with the help of Navalny, which is essentially what the anti-terrorist committee is saying, um, will will be um, will be what's remembered at least in Russia. Um, and you pointed out that um, the suspect uh, who's been who's been detained, uh, the police released as they sometimes do, a video showing part of what they call a confession. Um, now these things need to be treated with extreme extreme caution and kind of doubt because you know obviously they, they can be. Uh, recorded under duress. So, you know, um, n- nothing that's said is really, you know, it just can't be relied on. But that's another thing, you know, these things are shown. This is one of the tactics of the Russian uh, security structures is that they they uh, release these, these videos um, of, of suspects, um, which pretty much um, cast them as not suspects, but as, you know, as guilty. Uh, um, so b- b- before they're they're even arrested or, or tried or formally charged, so uh, we'll see how that develops as well. Um, and, and you mentioned, of course, the uh, the killing of, of Daria Dugina, um, and and I hadn't really thought about that, but it's true. Um, it was kind of you know it was huge splash, you know, obviously a, a very big story. But then in terms of the Russian investigation and, and what. Happened, and there were lots of holes, as I recall, in the in the um, authorities' account of this this supposed suspect um, and how how she and her daughter had gotten through Russia and out of Russia. Um, but but that was pretty much forgotten, at least I think, in, in the eyes of of the Russian state media. Okay, uh, we are getting short on time, but. Um, can take a few questions if there are any. Now, I do see uh, at least one question has come in. Uh, bear with me for a second. From uh, Paratyper. The question is, why uh, are journalists across the world using the word propaganda in describing not Russian state resources, I guess, news resources, but bloggers specifically. Um, so I'll turn to Irina in a minute, but I think that question, unless I'm misunderstanding it, might relate to why people like bloggers like Vladlin Tartarsky 
are sometimes called propagandists or what they put out is sometimes called propaganda as opposed to a blog uh, or, or journalism. Um, and that's something that's come up with Tatarsky. Um, you know, and, and to me, the reason is a lot of what he and, and others, these kind of pro, pro-war bloggers are, are, are posting uh, or writing, publishing, you know, it, it does look more, more like propaganda than, than news uh, or, than, or than opinion. Um, so that would be my answer. But, but again, um, it's possible that I misunderstood the question. Irina? Well, I would say I, I understood it the same way. Uh, but uh, I also would add that, uh, you know, the reason why, for example, uh, Russian authorities didn't close down YouTube and didn't close down uh, Telegram, mm, but closed down Twitter and Facebook uh, is because they are using YouTube and Telegram to spread their message. And uh, there are quite a lot of uh, channels in Telegram uh, and quite a lot of what they call uh, war bloggers uh, that uh, absolutely, uh, you know, consciously uh, spread the uh, government, the authorities' position. Uh, some of them are being fed with information by the uh, Ministry of Defense. Uh, so they are not, let's say, <laughs> independent. Uh, they are pretty much work on the state. Uh, so they would uh, uh, be in the uh, category of uh, propagandists uh, uh, as well as the state-controlled media. And it doesn't, uh, one doesn't necessarily need to be a part of state-owned media to be a propagandist. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, it's, it's a matter where you get the money rather than where you work. Right. Thanks. Thanks very much uh, for that, Irina. Um, yeah, and kind of underscores the idea that you know there's state tell, especially during the, during the war since since the large scale invasion in February 2022. You know, there's there's the state media, there's there's non-state media that are pretty much loyal to the state, and then there are there are bloggers, um, there are there are people on the internet. So it's it's kind of a a full court press of this disinformation um, in some cases. And there's subtleties in terms of, of uh, loyalties. I mean, I guess, you know, Prigozhin obviously is in, is in a, um, it has, has uh, very tense relations with the, the defense ministry and, uh, and the military um, and some, uh, uh, you know, some bloggers are kind of allied with him uh, and uh, so, so they're used, you know, not only for kind of the propaganda that that's one would say outward facing, but also internally, um, there are kind of gradations and, and maybe um, kind of infighting that that these that these various kind of media um, are are used for. Okay, um, let's see if we if we have any more questions, we can take. Another, I think. Don't see any now. We'll give it a few moments.
Okay, uh, if not, right, okay. Uh, yeah, no, if not, uh, well, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Irina, um, great to talk to you again. Thanks very much for, for joining me and for your insights. My pleasure, and thanks for inviting Steve. Okay, once again, I've been speaking to Irina Lagunina, Associate Standards Editor and Former Director and Special Projects Editor of the Russian Service at RFERL. And my name is Steve Gutterman, Editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. As I mentioned, this conversation will also be published uh, as a podcast, and you can subscribe to The Week Ahead in Russia and other RFERL podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, and other podcast platforms. Uh, no podcast next week, uh, but I'll be back on April 17th for the next installment of The Week Ahead in Russia. And please keep an eye out for the next edition of my newsletter, The Week in Russia, on Friday, April 14th. Thanks for listening.